mind, my name is Christian Stevens, if we haven't met, and I am the group's director at the Cascade Campus. And I am so excited to be with you today as we wrap up our series on the heroes and the villains of the Bible. Oh, now before we jump into that, I have a question I wanna ask you. What is one thing that you want more than anything else? If you could have just one thing, what would that thing be? And now I hear a few of you saying, I want a puppy, and to you, Yes, you need a puppy because puppies are amazing. But for you, maybe it's the spot on the basketball team or the lead role in the school play. For you, maybe you've always wanted to be a part of the in crowd and that's something you've just always desired. Or maybe it's that coveted PS5. You know the one that's out of stock literally everywhere? Uh, and you find yourself sneaking out late at night just so you could peer in your neighbor's window just to get a glimpse at one. Don't do that. Seriously, do not do that. For me, when I was in middle school, I remember vividly wanting more than anything to be able to do a flip. And so it's with great honor that I come before you today uh, after years of practice to do a flip. Are you ready? Okay, anybody that thought I was about to do a backflip, thank you for your confidence in me. But no, not that kind of flip. The flip I was actually talking about was this one. Okay, if you don't know what that just was, that, my friends, was the Justin Bieber flip. So in middle school, Justin Bieber had the hair flip, and all of my friends could do the JB flip, and I couldn't. Why, you ask? Well... Hair, not my strong suit. Uh, and so I had a decision to make. Was I going to commit to the JB flip or not? So at that point in time, I decided I would not cut my hair again until my JB flip was better than theirs. And now let me tell you, as you can see, this got out of hand a little bit. Oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Wow, that is some wild hair. And I know it sounds silly, but I will now forever have those photos as a reminder of the time that I let my desires dictate my decisions. Okay, okay, enough about me, enough about my hair. Well, maybe one more time, okay. Uh, enough about that, but the part I do want you to know is the fact that I let my desires dictate my decision. That's what we're gonna focus on today. And so as we continue our series on the heroes and the villains of the Bible, today we are gonna visit a guy named Jacob and see how he handles his desires. So we're gonna look at two spots where he's pitted face to face up against his desires and we're gonna see how he responds. And it is my hope that through these two scenes, we will gain some truth about who we are as humans and about who God is. Man, I'm excited about this and I hope you are as well. So before we jump in, I just wanna give you a little context of some of the characters that are gonna be in the stories. So our, our main character is of course, Jacob. And the rest of the characters are just Jacob's family. And it's pretty simple. We've got Jacob's father, Isaac, his mother, Rebecca, and then his older brother, Esau. And the reason I'm doing older brother is because technically they're twins, born at the same time, but Esau was born first. And that has some importance a little bit later. And so he will just be considered the older brother. And so now that we know we've got Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. Let's jump into the story. And we're gonna be starting in Genesis 25, verse 29. 
And so Genesis is the first book of your Bible, so you'll probably only be a few pages in. I'm actually on page 20. So Genesis 25 verse 29 reads like this. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said, Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Okay, so the scene opens and it's uh, pretty simple. We've got older brother coming in, exhausted, younger brother making some stew. And it feels pretty simple. Older brother saying, hey, I'm hungry. Give me some of that food. Feels like if you're looking for a hero, we've got some low hanging fruit here, right? Well, that's not quite what happens. Jacob responds in verse 31 like this. First, sell me your birthright. Okay, pause. What's a birthright? So a birthright was something back in this time was giving to the firstborn son of a family, which is why Esau being the older brother is important. He was the firstborn, so he had the birthright. And now the birthright has an amazing amount of value. Think of it like this. Uh, after the father passed away, the children would divide up the inheritance and the child with the birthright would receive double of the other siblings. So more money, right? Second, if you had the birthright, you were also considered to be next in line of leading the family. More power. So the way I see it, this birthright is more money, more power over your siblings. So this is a big deal, right? So now that we know what a birthright is, let's uh, revisit that trade that uh, Jacob just offered to Esau. A bowl of soup for more money and more power. To me, it sounds like uh, Esau's gonna quickly be like, no thanks. That's not what happens, let's see. Uh, Esau responds like this. Look, I am about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Okay, so it said Esau was out in the field uh, famished. What I'm kind of getting the vibe here is Esau might be a little bit hangry at this point, right? You know, hungry to the point where you're fine with being a little bit dramatic. This is the way I see it playing out. Little brother, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry, I will literally give you anything for that bowl of soup. Jacob's like, I'm not buying that. I'll take your birthright. Uh, and so just like that, he makes Esau swear over his birthright for a bowl of soup. Like this little bowl of soup for this amazing amount of value in this birthright. I kind of feel like Jacob just pulled a fast one on his brother here. And so we start this scene where we have a perfect opportunity for a hero to go, hey, my brother's hungry and I have some fresh food here. Let me feed him. But instead, Jacob says, oh, you're hungry? Well, actually, you have something I want to. So let's make a deal. And this deal feels wildly unfair, right? But here we see Jacob lets his desires dictate the way he responds to his brother. His desire for the birthright leads him away from God's plan. Instead of being a hero, he chooses to be a villain here. And now I know what you're saying. Hey, people make mistakes from time to time. Jacob pulled a fast one on his brother, it happens. Some of you might even be saying, well, Christian, Esau did agree to the deal, right? So it's not like Jacob actually stole it. And to those of you thinking that, I would say hold that thought till the end of the second scene and let me, let me know how you're feeling then. So for that, we're gonna flip to Genesis 27. So maybe a page or two further in your Bible. And at this point, it's years later, and their father Isaac is 
getting to the age where he is um, ready to pass on. And he is so old that he is now blind. And at this point, he calls Esau in and he says, Esau, I'm getting ready to pass away. So go out hunting for my favorite food, cook it just the way I like it. And in exchange, I will give you my blessing. And now as Esau starts to leave the house, we see Rebecca in the other room overhearing the conversation between Isaac and Esau. And something you need to know about these parents, about Isaac and Rebecca, they play favorites. So Isaac has a favorite, and that is Esau, who he just sent out to get some food for this blessing. And Rebecca has a favorite, and that is Jacob. And so as Rebecca hears that Isaac is about to give this blessing to Esau, she runs out to get Jacob so that they can devise a plan to steal the blessing from Esau. So Jacob goes out, grabs a young goat, brings it to his mother so she can fix Isaac a meal as Jacob goes in to confront his father. So Genesis 27 verse 22 reads like this, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of your brother Esau. And so what just happened here was that Bible is a little silly in its adamancy about describing Esau as a very hairy man and Jacob as a not so hairy man. And so as Jacob goes in to talk to his father, he knows that, yes, he's blind, so he might not recognize me, but I still am not my brother. So he decides to cover his arms and his face with sheep wool in a way to disguise himself. And the funny part to me is like, Isaac's like, Oh, sheep wool arms must be my son Esau. Like what kind of hair does Esau have on his arms that sheep wool is a disguise for it? Anyways, Isaac continues and gives Jacob one more out here. He says, are you really my son Esau? Now here's an opportunity for Jacob to be like, no, it's actually me, your son Jacob, and be honest and truthful with his father. But instead he replies like this, I am. Keeping it short, obviously, he's trying not to give away his identity, but he lies to his father, claiming that he's Esau in hopes that he gets Esau's blessing. And verse 25 goes like this. Isaac then says, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. And just like that, Jacob tricks his father into giving him his brother's blessing. And now I know what you're thinking, like, oh, cool, he got a blessing. Uh, my father blesses my meal every time before dinner. It's not one of those blessings. It's not bless this turkey so it can be nourishing to our family. Instead, the blessing reads like this. Go to verse 28. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and the abundance of grain and new wine. To me, that is saying more money. May God bless you with more money. If you continue on to verse 29, it says, May nations serve you and people bow down to you. More power. Like earlier, the birthright was more money, more power. This blessing is more money, more power. That is what Isaac is blessing Jacob with. And lastly, the part that gets me, he says, And may you be Lord over your brother. This blessing that is supposed to be for Esau to be Lord over Jacob, Jacob is stealing so that he can be Lord over Esau. Like, this blessing is a big deal. So, round two, 
Jacob's face to face with his desire where he would need to lie, cheat, and steal to obtain it. And what does he do? He lies, he cheats, and he steals this blessing from his brother. But you see what I'm trying to do here, don't you? The picture I'm trying to paint? Jacob, the liar, the deceitful one, the one who can't be trusted. Well, now, before we get too far into villainizing Jacob, let me ask you, when have your desires dictated your decisions in a negative way? Maybe for you or you're at your friend's house who just got the new hairspray or the new nail polish, and right before your parents picked you up, you slipped that into your backpack. Or maybe for you, your brother or sister is becoming pretty popular at school, and so you started telling some of their secrets so instead of kids being nice to them, they start being mean to them. Or maybe there's a new kid at school who is now the funny guy, and that used to be your role. And so you desire to get that attention back on you, and so you start picking on people around you, hoping that people will laugh. Or maybe it's grades. Maybe you desire to have good grades so badly, so badly that you're willing to cheat to get those. And that's just it. We as humans have so many temptations running around in our head every day that it would be impossible for us not to slip up from time to time. It would be impossible for us not to stray from God's plan. The simplest way that I can think of this is like this. Sin is inevitable. We cannot avoid it. It is going to happen. We are going to make mistakes. Sin is inevitable. And so now with that being said, let me ask that question about Jacob one more time. Can he be trusted? Does he have a place in God's plan? Well, no, he doesn't. In Genesis 100, verse 200, it reads like this. Jacob's crops would yield no fruit, and his kin would reap no food, for he was a super rude dude. I'm kidding. That is not the way the story ends. That is not a verse of the Bible. The way Jacob's story ends is amazing. So let me show you a few victories from his life from the thousand foot lens. There's a point in Jacob's life where he encounters God face to face. And at the end of this encounter, God gives him a new name and gives him a personal blessing. So that question, can Jacob be trusted? Clearly God trusts him. He has a face-to-face -face interaction, changes his name, and blesses him personally. Wow. Not only that, but he gets to live out the blessing promised to Abraham about his family becoming a great nation. Jacob is blessed with 12 kids that then become the 12 tribes of Israel. So, does Jacob have a place in God's plan? Yes, he has a huge place in God's plan. He is the father of Israel. They, his, the name that God gives him is Israel. That's his new name. He is the father of these 12 tribes that become the nation of God. So yes, he has a place in God's plan. And that right there is the best part to me. We can spend eight minutes focusing on Jacob letting his desire when time and time again, filling a rap sheet full of failures, and then we look at the end of his life and we see how God has used him 
in amazing ways. So that truth we learned earlier about sin, the fact that sin is inevitable, I think that is not a period at the end of that. That is not a statement. There needs to be a comma at the end of that one. So how does that phrase end? Sin is inevitable, comma, but God is more powerful. That's how it needs to end. Yes, it's true. Sin is inevitable, but our God is more powerful. I mean, take a look at this. God took Jacob's story, one that starts out with a man who was lying, cheating, and stealing, and turns him into the father of Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He has such a big role in God's plan that it amazes me. God takes a man who starts off lying, cheating, and stealing and uses him for his glory. How cool is that? And now I know a few of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, well, I've done something worse than lying, cheating, or stealing. And to you, I would say, God is more powerful. Yeah, well, I broke the trust of my parents. God is more powerful. I stole from somebody who trusted me. God is more powerful. I want you all to close your eyes right now and just think of the worst thing you've ever done in your life. And to that thing, I will say, God is more powerful. We are human beings. We are going to make mistakes. Yes, it is true, sin is inevitable. And we are going to have times in our lives that we let our desires lead us astray from God's plan. That is just the fact of it. We are going to sin. But in your time of reflection, when you're feeling like I have sin and I have so much sin that I'm drowning in it, the thing that I want you to think about, the thing that I want you to remember is that God is more powerful. God is powerful enough to love, he's powerful enough to save, and he's powerful enough to use you even when you feel like you shouldn't be used. That is how powerful of a God we have. So if you take anything away from this tonight, I would ask you to always remember that yes, it's true that sin is inevitable, but our God is more powerful. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity where we can come before you, Lord, and just open your word and learn some truths about you. Lord, I just pray for anybody in this space, Lord, that is just feeling overwhelmed by sin, feeling overwhelmed by the first part of that statement that sin is inevitable, Lord, that they grasp the second half, the end of that statement, Lord, that you are more powerful. Lord, I just pray that as we enter small group, Lord, that we can just be open with our friends, with our leaders, about the facts that we are humans, we are sinful, Lord. And I just pray that we open our hearts and our open our minds, Lord, to see how powerful you truly are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.